You are listening to Nerd Best Friends because, <laughs> honestly, like you have something better to do than being a nerd. Welcome back, nerds, and thank you for listening to the Nerd Best Friends podcast. I'm Annalise here with my best friend Rob. Ah, that's me, your best friend, your podcast host, and your weird old guy sitting at the end of the bar. you think he works there because he's there every time you go in but he doesn't seem to be doing any work is he always wearing a shirt with a brewery he's got the brewery t-shirt yeah. he's got a big beard he's sitting down at the edge you're like is that guy is he the owner does he work here who is this guy just buy the guy a drink <laughs> so this podcast goes to 11 this is episode hey. 11 <laughs> we're gonna nerd out today about craft beers this is rob's episode this is the reason why rob decided to do nerd best friends i don't know about that i am more nervous for this episode than even the batman episode because Ooh. i know i know that i don't know as much as i think i could know about craft beer and i know that we have friends that know a lot about craft beer <laughs> Speaking of craft beer, the craft beer of the episode, I had to pick this out again. A lot of, uh, we'll talk about this, I'm sure. A lot of the draw of craft beer is the fun names that they come up with for all of their beer. Yes. This beer is by Modern Times Brewery, and it is called Dungeon Map. This beer could not have sat on the shelf uh, more enticing to me. It is called Dungeon Map. And it is a West Coast IPA, which is one of my favorite styles of beers. It is pretty hoppy. It's got some high IBUs or bitterness. It's delicious. The thing I like about Modern Times is they are a brewery out of San Diego, which of course means they know exactly how to make a West Coast IPA. Anytime you go into a Modern Times tasting room, the people pouring there, the people working there are always very happy, very excited to tell you about how happy they are working there, how all of the employees are share owners in the company, and how they have like a, a just a nice culture of wanting Modern Times beer to be successful there. And so that's my craft beer of the episode. That's wonderful. And I'm going to lodge a complaint to any brewmasters oh, no. or breweries that might listen to this podcast or anyone who has friends that own breweries. I absolutely love the fun names. But as I've mentioned in previous episodes, the funner the name, the hoppier the beer. Mm. And not all of us are hoppy IPA fans and stout fans. Some of us like those lighter summer ale lagers and those tend to have very weak names just because it's a weak beer doesn't mean it needs a weak <laughs> name so is that I'm, true? I'm, I'm putting that out there i want some more fun names for the beers that aren't ipas and stouts but keep the fun names going because it's absolutely my favorite part of going to breweries and hanging out and uh, and just nerding out about these names and how fun they can get so complaint <laughs> but also keep it coming when we talk about what makes a good and bad craft brewery experience, we can definitely check that one off the list. <laughs> For sure. All right. Before we get started going into this week, listener mail, Annalise? Yeah, the thing that's really happening right now and taking off for our podcast is a lot of interaction on our social media. So over not only winter break, but coming into the end of January, we've had a lot of interaction, particularly on some posts around our released episode dates. The one shot mini holiday card that you did 
about Superman and Spider-Man nerding out about mm-hmm. Warhammer got a lot of interaction all of a sudden. And I think that's just because Great. it keeps coming back around as a topic. There's a lot of people who are really upset about how the audience and the host. Graham Norton. Yeah. Graham Norton. Thank you. They laughed at Henry Cav- Cavill. Mm-hmm. They laughed at him when he talked about Warhammer and he was actually, he was throwing down some knowledge. He's, he's, you know, there's two parts of the experience. There's the, the preparation and the painting, and then there's the actual gameplay. Like he was throwing out some really good stuff and he was laughed at. So there's just some ongoing conversation and we've received a lot of interaction around that one shot and around that post in our, on our social media. That dude is the real deal. He really paints his Warhammer armies and knows how to spend the time. He builds his own, you know, gaming PCs and stuff. Like he is one of us. He just happens to have a really cool job and work out for a living. Um, he's pretty cool. Do you follow him on social media? Does he have like pictures uh-huh. of him painting in his Absolutely. like trailers while he's on set and stuff? You know, I don't notice that it's any time that he's on set. It's mm. gotta be during the downtime, you know, you'll see pictures of his nerd room right his hobby desk and stuff where he's got his you know green cut mat down and he's painting or just pictures of his kitchen table with a big pc taken apart on it and stuff that he's rebuilding so i think that's his if i understand the world of big hollywood actor you work 100 all hours go 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 during the six months or whatever you're filming a movie and then there might be a lot of time right. waiting around for your next you know your next gig so i think that's how that works out for him you know graham norton is it's it's a comedy show right, right. he's going to be there to try to uh to try to get the laughs but in that particular case I think why it's getting active, people are getting activated there is it still feels like punching down, right? Even though we are in this time of, you know, nerd renaissance, especially when it comes to comic book movies and when it comes to video game, I mean, The Witcher is a book and it's a video game and it's a Netflix series that Henry Cavill stars in and stuff. And it's, it's super huge. So it seems like, you know, nerd is cool, but for those of us who lived it, (laughs) who are living it and being laughed at like that, it still feels like punching down, you know? Yeah. And well, now nerds have the ability on a global in your face level to push back on it. And that's why it became such a trending topic because now nerds can say, hey, wait, this is a real thing. We're done being laughed at about it. And it's really interesting. I don't know if it's quite pushback. I don't know if it's quite as negative as maybe someone who might drop a racist comment in a live show. That's something viral. In this case, this is just nerds saying like, enough is enough. We have a valid hobby just because it's not lifting weights. And this is someone who does lift weights as a hobby, (laughs) who does exercise and take care of himself. And it's still being laughed at. Like it's, that shouldn't be a thing anymore in 21, 22. Especially in the year of our Lord, 2022, if you're someone who doesn't have a hobby, what have you been doing the last couple of years, right? Like everybody was taking up hobbies, whether you were making sourdough or woodworking in your garage or, you know, whatever things people were doing. Like if you have been spending the last few years during the hard times, if you just spent that whole time sitting on your couch watching Netflix, I feel bad for you, right? You need a hobby. You need to get some done. Be creative. And speaking of hobbies in 22, I want to thank those who have interacted with us about goals, whether you latched on to the 20 for 22 or just shared with us some of the things that you are doing in terms of New Year's quote unquote resolutions. Keep sharing with us, keep tagging us in in your posts, and we're going to keep sharing with you as we move along our own 20 for 22 Trello board. So thanks for that interaction as well. 
I'm close. I'm close to moving my first board to Mission Accomplished, but nice. you'll know when it happens. <laughs> oh, we yeah, we'll post it. We'll be on top of it. We're going to talk about craft beer today. Oh boy. Okay. So what is craft beer? Full disclosure, I am not a brewer. I am not an amateur brewer. I know that that is another a really cool creative hobby. There's a lot of science and chemistry and thought and organization, cool stuff that goes into that hobby. And I think it's commendable. I don't have the space <laughs> or the uh, or the equipment. For, for that, although I think it would be really cool. So I am more of a, a craft beer enthusiast. I uh, like to consider myself a beer snob uh, <laughs> a little bit. Not that I know everything, but that I do only drink the craft beer. And craft is the most important part. This is beer that is made by a person, usually in a small, a small facility, someone who is tasting the beer, someone who is experimenting with beer. Some of my favorite and the best ones that I come across, you can tell it was someone who got into beer. They started making their own beer, probably in their garage. They were doing really well at it. And they just kind of took that hobby and turned it up to 11, bought a space, opened up a tasting room. You know, that's really fun is when you find a place, you know, there was a local place here a few years ago called Captain Fatties. We always called it the elusive Captain Fatties because Mm -hmm. when they were first getting started, it was literally just a couple dudes making beer. So their their tasting room was only open for a couple hours, a couple days a week, because that's all they had to produce. So every time we go there, oh, they were closed because it wasn't Friday at 4 p.m. or whatever it was that they were open. That's what I like about it is unlike a lot of the commercial beers, a lot of the macro breweries and stuff where everything is kind of automated and it's made in a big factory and it's got the same exact, you know, recipe that it's had for decades. What I have found a lot of those will use preservatives and chemicals and coloring to support that macro production scale that they're doing. A craft beer is made by a person who is watching over that beer, making sure that it has that quality control trying new things, tweaking and perfecting those recipes as it goes. And that's been a really big shift. I don't even know if it's just in the United States, but maybe globally that change from the big companies, you know, used to, you can go to the Coors Colorado, Mm -hmm. Golden Colorado Coors Brewery, and you walk through their big thing and you get a little cup to taste some of the beers right off the tap. In my travels overseas, there are pubs and other things, but it's a lot of just a bunch of beers that are regional for the country. I don't know how far back this trend has gotten. I think we had maybe brewery restaurants, maybe in the 70s, 80s, where they made their own beer in smaller amounts, but it was a restaurant and that was what brought you in. And oh, you might have a couple beers, but that's been flipped and it's become a thing where, like you mentioned, the individual person who made this really good beer and people say, like, I would buy this. And then it got bigger and bigger and bigger until they open a storefront, but it's no longer that restaurant, right? You're going to have beer. Mm -hmm, And prior mm -hmm. to the pandemic closures, a lot of that was like, you just go have beer. And then things shifted, particularly in California, where we are, where they had to offer food with it to be open and stuff like that shifted during the reopening of the pandemic. But that experience has changed. Yes. More beers, more types of beers, as you mentioned, cleaner beers, and the experience of beer drinking itself changed. Absolutely. And that is, you know, people will say like, oh, that's that's a hipster thing, right? That started uh, in the last decade right. or so right. of like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's these hipsters, that's these millennials, that's these whatever. But really something changed there where there was and there is an entrepreneurial 
experience, a, a spirit out there, you know, that pendulum has gone up and down as it is, you know, throughout time of what's the most important thing. Well, the most important thing is that you go, that you, you know, you get a job at a good company that has lots of benefits and you have a steady paycheck and this, and then sometimes society shifts and it's go out there, strike out on your own and try to do something that you love and that is creative. And that, that pendulum goes back and forth. And I think craft beer is a product of the latter where it was young people who are very knowledgeable about cooking, about chemistry, about business and finding these big, relatively inexpensive commercial spaces. You know, your best craft breweries are always in these weird warehouse and machine districts because they've rented out some huge warehouse space for all of their stuff. The byproduct of that as well, more beers. I Mm -hmm. I won't even say a saturation because the beers that are made independently are different. A West Coast IPA from Brewery X is going to taste different than a West Coast IPA from Brewery Y. Like there's so much out there. So for someone like me who doesn't drink a whole lot of beer, that can become very overwhelming. Now you walk into Mm. a local store and you've got six cases, display cases of different types of beers. And you have like one or two are those global brands Mm -hmm. like Budweiser and Coors and Corona. And then you have just cases and cases and cases of more um, local stuff. And what can you help me? Can you help our (laughs) listeners? Tell us about craft beer. So there are, not a million, there are over a hundred different kinds of beers, right, that you can get. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of put these in broad strokes, in broad categories for people. So we're going to start with your pale ales, right? So there are English pale ales and there are American pale ales. A pale ale kind of has that pale color. It's going to be a little bit hoppier, thinner. An American pale ale is going to be a little bit hoppier, a little bit more bitter than an English pale ale would be. Then you have your IPAs, which is your India pale ales. So these are pale ales, but they're a lot hoppier. And fun fact, the reason why IPAs exist and why they're called India pale ales is because when they would brew that beer century ago, they would put more hops in that beer because it would help it stay fresher on the journey from England to India on their big ships that they would be traveling, right? Like that was a long journey. So the increase in hops kept things fresher for that journey to India, thus the India pale ale and the the more hoppiness that it's known for. IPAs have been around for a while. It's not... All of these beers have been around for a while. I think our first evidence of beer is in ancient Egypt. The ancient Egyptians were brewing beer and feeding it. It was it was thick, right? Almost like bread, right? right? They would make bread and they would make beer kind of at the same time with the same kind of yeast and fermenting and stuff for their tremendous workforce (laughs) that was building these pyramids, right? Because it was it was very filling, it was very cheap, and it was Ah, uh, kept everybody kind of in a malaise. (laughs) And one and one of those things of using all of the materials you have, right? Like. The Mm -hmm. hops or the yeast was used for one thing, and now we can reuse it and create this other thing. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes a lot of sense. From the different breads and stuff they were making. Yeah. So then, oh, please. Is it only hops that makes a difference in the taste between a pale ale and an IPA? Generally speaking, yes, it's going to be that hoppiness or that bitterness that is going to make the difference. There's also probably going to be a stronger or higher alcohol content in your IPA. Again, traditionally to keep it fresher longer when it was in barrels. 
but now we we drink these colder than mm-hmm. the, like does that change the taste of the IPA as well? I, I think it does. Um, now, when a brewer is tasting beer and monitoring their beer as they're making it, they're drinking it warm or hot, right? Because it's right. coming out of the fermenters or it's coming out of the the tanks and those kinds of things. And I think when it is warm and in those processes someone with a sophisticated tongue (laughs) that knows what they're looking for can probably taste those things better. Culturally, we like cold beer, right? (laughs) We just like that pressure, but that's not the same around the world, right? Many places in Europe and things will still traditionally like a, not warm, but like a room temperature or just slightly cool beer. And it's like that for more than just beer beverages in in European I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Or putting ice into, you know, your soda. Ice isn't a thing in a lot of places. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. I interrupted. I had a ton of questions because I guess I never made it. I never made a connection between pale ale and IPA as a pale ale because I don't mind a pale ale. It's not my first. It's not my go-to. I don't mind the taste of a pale ale. I just don't like the bitter and the hoppy of IPAs. And I've tasted some that are okay, but I've never tasted one that I could drink a whole pint of. Oh, interesting. Oh, for an IPA? Yeah, they're going to be strong. They're going to be, they're going to be strong and they're going to have that kind of green or resiny flavor. There are definitely some breweries that lean into that, you know, like, oh, well, an IPA, people expect it to be a little hoppier, a little stronger. We're going to lean into that and make the hoppiest, strongest one you've ever tasted. It's like, okay, well, that's fine, but. Also, there could be some subtlety within it. One of the reasons I put pale ale first is because I think that's a great starting point for people trying craft beer. If you are just kind of getting into beer, you're like, well, what's a craft beer when I go to this weird hipster brewery that my friend took me to and I'm looking down the thing. I think the tendency for some people is to start with something that's very sweet or masks the flavor of beer. But I think if you're going to a craft brewery, you want to taste the beer in the beer. And I think a pale ale is like a good starting place if you want to taste like, well, what is craft beer taste like? All I drink is White Claw. What is a craft beer taste like? A pale ale, I think, <laughs> is a good way, is a good place to start because you're going to get that hop that it's known right. for, but it's also going to be a, a, a clean and, and not too overpowering beer. I'm back standing in front of all these displays of beer, beer, and beer. And I see West Coast IPA, double IPA, hazy IPA. Like, what is this? Okay. So all of them are going to be a stronger, hoppier flavor than your lager or your ale ale but imperial ipa is going to be strong they're going to crank up the alcohol content that's where you're going to see you know like your normal not your normal your macro beer is going to be around four percent alcohol when you get into things like an imperial ipa you're going to see it climbing up to like nine percent alcohol oh geez and you'll also see things like double ipas will have a high alcohol content like that a West Coast IPA is really, I always describe it as kind of green, although I know that that's not like a, an official flavor profile. It's almost like you can taste a hop still, uh, you know, a hop or a malt still on, on the plant, right? Like if you were going to bite into, you know, the stem of that plant and have that kind of like green and fresh taste, that's what I'm looking for in the West Coast IPA, as opposed to it say like- It doesn't new... sound like fresh to me. <laughs> it's why I don't drink tea. It tastes like plant, but no, I hear like- I'm, I'm meaning no offense to anyone who likes IPAs. It's just not a thing tea for me. Tea so. is an interesting comparison because yes, you're going to, when you're drinking tea,
tea and trying different teas, you're looking for the different notes of whatever that blend is or whatever that leaf is that they used. It's the same for hops, whether it's citra hops, cascade hops, mosaic hops. There's all these different varieties like there are for any plant and they will have different subtle flavors in their combination. Something else that's really popular with the IPAs are the hazy IPAs where they are, it's a literal descriptor. If you hold up the glass to the light and you look through, it is very hazy. Whatever process it is that they use to make those hazies, they put in extra flavors um, kind of in there. You'll, You'll hear more like tropical flavors, fruity flavors. Um, And that's not to say that they taste like they're subtle. It's not like when you would get say, oh, I'm going to get like a cherry high C. It's not that kind of (laughs) overpowering fruit, right? There's just, there's the note, there's a hint of different fruit or tropical flavors in there. And I think that them actually putting fruit into whatever, you know, the steps and the process in there is also what's giving it that hazy feel because there's more sediments, there's more ingredients and things in there taking up that space. That takes us to ales, straight up ales, one of the oldest types of beer. And what I understand from the history of ales is that ales were brewed to be paired with food. So when you see things like a red ale, which might have a, like a clean or or toasty taste to it, it's a, it's like more of a palate cleanser where a brown ale is going to have a nutty kind of background to it. That's going to pair with different sorts of foods. Oh gosh, your Oktoberfests, your Dunkles, a lot of your Belgian beers and stuff that you're drinking have more of a sweet, thin taste to them because you're eating a bunch of fried food. You're at Oktoberfest and you're having your hot dogs and your donuts and your all the different things. Those are beers that are that are brewed to be paired with food. It, you know, see, now you're you're talking my jams here. Red ales were my favorite for a long time. Irish reds mm-hmm, were my mm-hmm. go-to. I love Oktoberfest. I'm going to twist what you're saying there. You go to Oktoberfest, you're not eating hot dogs and donuts. You're eating bratwurst. You're <laughs> eating schnitzel. You're eating, yeah, probably fries. Is, is the most fried they get. But but let's be real. The, the Germans aren't selling donuts at Oktoberfest. They're selling Sorry. giant jugs of beer with some schnitzel and some sauerkraut on their bratwurst. <laughs> oh, bretzels. Oh, my favorite thing in the month I spent in Germany was a beer and a pretzel. Because my goodness, you've never had such a good pretzel. I swear. Yeah. Anyways, Oktoberfest. That's my I love that. But that's a beer. Interesting to me, if I'm just kind of looking inward at myself, those are beers that I can drink just as a beer. I'm having a beer. I can have an Oktoberfest. I don't ever consider that being connected to food, but now it makes so much sense why it's more palatable than an IPA that's intended to, to be sipped on after a hard day of work to fill your In palate. and of itself, right? Yeah. An IPA yeah, yeah, yeah. is a beer that you're going to your hipster craft brewery place to have that beer and taste that beer as its own thing. But yeah, I think you're going to find, listen to this list and you can kind of check it off in, in your mind. Yeah. Irish Reds, Brown Ales, Doppelbox, Dunkles, Altbeer, Marzen, Double Triples, sound like... Yeah, it <laughs> sounds like a, you look, go to my untapped, that's my list mm-hmm. right there for most yeah. for the most part. Right. So that is ales. And of course, you know, that's a handful of the hundreds of different kinds of ales and all their different subtleties that go along with there. Uh, another category I wanted to highlight was the wheat beers. Wheat beers are interesting because there's wheat in them, right? You, when you're looking at the yeast and the bread products of it and stuff, it's more of a 
it's got a soft flavor. They're more yellow for some reason. Like if you can picture okay. holding up that glass and it being not quite that golden of a beer, but a very yellow beer. We're talking about Hefeweizen's, Quits, Farmhouse Ales, Saisons, things like that. They can also be kind of cloudy. <laughs> One of the things that puts me a little off from them sometimes is that they will have a lot of sediment in them sometimes. And you pour it and you're looking at it and it's got like the floaters kind of sinking to the bottom from that process of the different kinds of yeast and things in there. And like, I don't even like pulping my orange juice. So they kind right. of <laughs> all yeah, like sit on the get, top. <laughs> they get textury. Chewy. Yeah, yeah. yeah and not exactly enjoyable. <laughs> they're, <I laughs> they're mean... very enjoyable for a lot of people, especially a good farmhouse ale or saison on a summer day is very delicious <laughs> fair enough lagers very popular as far as like the macro brews and things that we might be useful used to in the united states are your lagers there's tons of different kinds right there's the american lager which is your standard in a lot of bars for a lot of the last few decades but of course there's every kind of culture or different area or region of the world has their kind of take on the lager and they're all a little bit different there's vienna lagers there's japanese rice lagers there's german pilsners there's mexican lagers that usually have like a little lime or lemon in them hells kolsch's cream ales your favorite even a blonde ale kind of you know falls into it kind of straddles the line between an ale and a lager but technically is is still a lager um the way they brew it i guess now you're really talking my gym when i walk into (laughs) a craft brewery this is the first place i go 805 is my favorite beer it's a honey lager honey ale blonde ale yeah german pilsner is my favorite kolsch i'm a sucker for kolsch's you know this listeners (laughs) listeners <laughs> you ever want to buy me a beer a kolsch will go a long way with me that's my absolute favorite this is where i live i like ales i've got to be in the mood for something darker and heavier i'll take a lager any day yeah lagers are great i love a mexican lager um oh, yeah. especially if i go if i find a mexican restaurant that you know it's not just corona but they have like a local breweries version of a mexican lager oh that is a place i will come back again love pilsners especially you know a craft pilsner you know like when you were in college and you had that Paps Blue Ribbon and you're like, oh man, this God. is rough. Mm. And then you have like a good craft pills and you're like, oh, this is what it was supposed to be like. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. You know, a local brewery for us here, Draftsman, has a Japanese mm-hmm. rice lager that I like a lot. So that takes us to another, the next category. Again, it's very broad strokes, <laughs> um, but we'll go yes. to sours. Now, sours was something that got popular more recently after I kind of, you know, really got into craft beer. Sours became more popular. So I kind of assumed that they were something maybe new or, you know, something experimental. But no, they've been a lot. They've been around. They're as old as beer themselves. Oh, sours. Have okay. Been. Yeah. Uh, that was new information that I got re- researching this. A lot of times you will find sours listed on menus as wilds. And that's not because they're like X dash T R E M E. It's because the yeast that they use is wild yeast, much like if, you know, so many, so many of our friends took up making sourdough during the, during the pandemic, know that you've got your yeast and you've got to keep that starter alive. Right. And so you feed that starter and it lives in your house and you can split that starter and you could give it to somebody else. And after six months, after a year, 
your bread and that other person's bread who maybe lives in a different city are going to taste different because Mm -hmm. the yeast has absorbed so many different elements of its environment as it is a living and changing thing. So that's why sours, that's why they're called wilds is because they're made with wild yeast. And these are beers that are very flavorful. They will have not just like fruit, but also floral tastes that are strong. Belgians, Gozes, Flanders, Bretts are examples of some sours. You'll even see them listed sometimes as different flavors, right? Uh, mango, sour, a kiwi, sour, because they've used techniques to inf- to give you a strong taste of whatever that might be along with that very sour taste, which is, of course, in contrast to the bitterness that you get in traditional types of beers that we've been talking about. That contradiction is why I personally, I have not found a sour that I really like. I might've liked sours when we were younger, but now it's like trying to drink Sour Patch Kids that I used to just pop. I used to eat Sour Patch Kids like they were nothing. And now like, it's like tasting those and I I don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a lot of the enjoyment I get, I as a person don't have much of a sweet tooth. I don't, I, I, I mean, I enjoy delicious things, but hey, there's cake in the break room does not make me kick over my chair and go running, right? Like I could care less. So part of my love for craft beer is, you know, I'm more of a savory type guy and like those hops and that kind of bitterness is what I go for. And sours don't have that, right? They specifically right. Are, are made differently. That takes us to porters and stouts. These are your dark beers, right? When you right. see the beer glass come down and it's, you know, super dark brown or black looking, and even the froth, the foam on top is more of a brown or caramel color. These are your dark beers, your porters, your stouts. They are similar. I learned the difference between a porter and a stout is that porters okay. are made with malted barley while stouts use roasted barley. This is why in general, a porter might be a little sweeter or a little bit boozier because of that malted a bit while a stout might be described. A lot of times you'll hear them described as like a coffee flavor or unsweetened mm. chocolate or something. And that's because those hops are roasted, which helps bring out those different kinds of flavors depending on what what kind of things that they're putting in there. These are your Irish stouts, your Guinness, you know, and things like that. Milk stouts, your Russian Imperial stouts. That's a strong beer. You only need one, go for your Russian Imperial (laughs) stout. It'll fill you up like a meal and get you buzzed like you would have three. Is it safe to say that Guinness is the most like widely known of this type? Like most people would know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a worldwide macro. I I might regret saying this. Nerd corrections, you can write in. I think Guinness is made by Budweiser. It might be now. Yeah. It sounds familiar that the the company was bought out by one of the large conglomerates, right? Yeah. Like, and now it's made by someone. They're still made in Ireland, but owned by someone else. To make sure I understood, something like a stout where you always, not always, but some of the descriptions might be, you know, coffee and cherry. It means that those elements of some sort, whether it's actual chocolate or actual coffee or actual fruit is placed as part of the process. Absolutely. Yes. And because of that, and those are more bitter flavors, right? For in that case with, by using the roasted hops, that roasted flavor is what's drawing out the more whatever that acid is or whatever that's going to give you that more bitter taste of a coffee or a cacao or something like that right. rather than right. something sweet and malted like uh, like the other kind. Like an IPA for me, I've enjoyed these that I've tried. I have yet to meet one that I could drink a pint of. And part of that is I get so full 
so fast. And to me, it's not enjoyable to feel that full off of one beer, right? But I have enjoyed tasting different stouts mm-hmm. and tasting some of these darker beers. Oh, the boozy ones are tough though. <laughs> boozy ones I'm are always, tough. when I think of my craft beer drinking, I think of, you know, a warm, sunny afternoon at a craft brewery, uh, hanging out with friends and family, you know, in the evening or whatever. And I've got like a crisp, cold glass of a pale ale or an IPA in my hand. I am always surprised when I go through my untapped or get to like, you know, they give you the end of the year stats and like all this kind of things. How many stouts and porters, mm-hmm. mostly stouts, I have tried throughout the year i guess it's just part of being a craft beer fan you try whatever's new i always end up with a big long list of those Thank you, Rob, for the quick umbrella overview. I will repeat what you said. Like that's just a broad stroke of what you look at with craft beer. For me, at least, and I think for a lot of people, it is about the experience of going to a brewery, not necessarily a restaurant that has Mm -hmm. its own craft beer, but to go to a brewery, that experience is so unique. So let's talk about that. What makes a good craft brewery experience? So I was coming up with a list for this and it was fun because it was like, oh yeah, this is why I like this. (laughs) This (laughs) is why I like this. This is why I like this vibe. Number one on my list, a craft brewery is not a bar. It's not dark. It's not loud. It's not full of young people trying to get drunk for cheap. It is right. a much different atmosphere. It is a place of, it's it's more blue collar, you know, like the best craft okay. breweries are the places where they're making the beer there. This is third on my list was the brew. The beer is brewed on site, right? Like when you roll up to a real craft brewery, it stinks, right? It smells yeah. funky because there's things fermenting and mashing and vents being, you know, let go and stuff. Right. You know, oh, this is a place where the beer is made. The people in this building where I'm going to drink the beer are responsible for this beer, created this beer. They're tasting. They're the quality control. This is a real small craft place. Right. The other thing that I like about that kind of vibe is at least out here in California, we're very lucky that we have very good weather. So a lot of these places have big outdoor spaces to enjoy that for their seating. And what you get is, I would call it like a picnic type atmosphere. It's daytime, it's sunny, there's different people, they're kind of scattered about, but you see families, you see dogs, Um, everybody's just kind of there to chill. It's not as formal as a restaurant type bar. And it certainly doesn't have that like, well, you can't bring your dog in here. You can't bring your kid in here. That would be inappropriate to bring them to a bar where drunk people are trying to hook up with each other. It has that sort of picnic type atmosphere. And we certainly have a few of these really great places here locally. What's the one in Carpinteria that faces the ocean? Islands. Um, Islands. Oh my gosh. I really love that place. 
you sit and it's beautiful weather and you're outdoors. And to echo some of what you said, people can bring food from outside. You can bring sandwiches you made from home if you want. That's what's really fun about the one in Ventura that book ended to toppers because you can get a pizza and salad from toppers and go over to the brewery, get a beer, and you have that outdoor experience right in the middle of those two buildings. Also here we have M Special. I live in walking distance from M Special and that, <laughs> that wonderful patio outside uh, as we got a dog in October. So, you know, we've had her for a few months now and now starting to integrate the training of being able to just chill at a craft brewery. (laughs) The dog walk is now the walk to and from the brewery. Sometimes it's a good two mile walk, which tires are out, right? And then she gets to be around people. But about M Special, they make, I don't know where it would fall on this list. I guess it's technically a lager maybe, but they make a beer over the summer and into the fall called the Rattler. It's spelled R-A-D-L-E-R. It is, I know it of German descent. So Rattler, more of a T sound, which is like a blonde lager or... Am I saying the right thing there? Lighter lager. I'm trying to remember exactly if they use a lager. <laughs> it's one of their, it's their lager. I think it's the M special lager. And then they add some, a little bit <laughs> Additionally, of. Additionally, like if you were to get it in Germany, it would be made with a German Pilsner, which yes. falls under the, the lager umbrella. Yes. Right, that's, right, that's right. That's what I was trying and to And that's so. actually where I had it first. I had one with lemonade or lemon seltzer water yeah. and then one with apple juice. And I'm not even oh. going to try to pronounce it, but they're so refreshing because we, I was in Germany a number of years ago over the summer. So it's super hot and we go on lots of walks and sit down at an an open air restaurant or kind of a brewery. It's not the same exact experience as we're describing here and sat down and had one of these. And it's one of the most refreshing drinks, but M Special makes one and I love it. So we walk over have a beer, walk back. It's it's really, I love that atmosphere. Even when they're busy, it doesn't feel like what it felt like in our 20s to try to go to a mm-hmm. bar and have a drink. Mm-hmm. And, right. and I and, also really enjoy that. And that was something that we don't have locally around us as much is like the good pub, right? So right. when you talk right. about those experiences in Germany and stuff, like there's a neighborhood pub yes. and it's not a big dark bar. Right. It's just a place where you go and like drink and it's pretty chill, right? It's like a good right. pub experience. They might have darts, they might have a pool table, yeah. you know, that kind of vibe. And I don't know that we have a a lot of that around here. At least I didn't really find any when I was younger until the craft brewery phase exploded. And then there were like all these super chill, cool places to drink where you know that the beer is going to be good because if it's not, you could go tell the guy, hey, how come this tastes different than last time? And he'll be like, oh, well, the shipping changed and we got different hops. Or he'll be like, oh, I was trying something new. And because a lot of these places started out as nerds in their garage making their own beer, they're very happy to talk about their beer. And what they and what they're doing and how they've changed things and and where they've come from. And I like that experience again very much. Uh, One of the things on my list for what makes a good craft brewery is it's not too hipster, right? (laughs) Sometimes you roll up on a tasting room like I don't need your waxed mustache. I don't need things to come in like a cocktail glass with a half a watermelon (laughs) hanging off it or anything. Like I want to be there with the guy. Like when I walk in, I want to see dudes with like big rubber boots, wellies and a dirty t-shirt and a sweat stained hat because he's been back there (laughs) brewing beer all day. And now he's going to come pour some for you and give you a story. Well, there is some kind of hipster. There is one of our local breweries here. You can go buy the used barley to make bread. There's some hipster level there, but it is not that pressure to visually look. 
It's not that pressure to yeah. fit in a category. You can walk into the brewery and you'll see a family with a couple kids and the kids are playing games and eating some food while the parents are having a drink and you're going to have like some people after work in one corner and you have like the trivia people over mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. and you go outside and there's some people with their dogs hanging out like you just it's a lot more relaxed of an atmosphere versus that hipster idea that you're talking about. Yeah, that's also something it's kind of fun when a brewery will have a gimmick. Right. Not always, you know, but a lot of them will have like, oh, this is the place to come for trivia on Wednesday nights. Yeah. I went to a cool space during our trip to Colorado where it was just full of pinball machines. And so it was Crab Brewery and the whole back half was pinball. I spent many dollars and quarters playing all the different pinball games, you know, while having a craft beer. There are places that will have a big outdoor game session where they'll have giant Jenga and cornhole and all those kinds of things. So it's, I'm going there for the beer, but also I know that there's something to keep me engaged at the same time. Right. Well, one of my favorite things prior to the pandemic, and I just, it, I haven't been back since I know they, they started again. So shout out here to the Santa Barbara Yoga Collective. They would host yoga sessions in these breweries in off locations up on a balcony outside in the patio where for $10, you'd get an hour long session of yoga and a pint of beer after. And that was one of my favorite things to do once a week pre pandemic was to go to their yoga and beer sessions and And maybe that's something I need to start up again in 2022 and find out where they're hosting their sessions. Cause that was one of my favorite things. Yeah. So Maria told me that they were, that they were doing that again, but they were doing it out in the parking lot and she wasn't super jazzed about putting her fancy expensive yoga mat out on like the dirty asphalt kind of thing. You know, now this new wave of everything coming back around and once we can safely do it inside and back like uh, on the better ground. I'm down for it too. Is it on the asphalt and on cement? And that just didn't sound like for those of us, you know, in our forties being mm-hmm. on your hands and knees, even in a yoga mat on the cement just doesn't sound, sound like fun. So a, a big shout out to them. They do a great, great job, great sessions. And once we can safely move back inside, I, I'm, I'm down, I'm, I'm ready to go back. So is there anything else on your list of what makes a good craft brewery experience? Yes. Let me tell you my favorite part of going to a craft brewery, the flights. Ah, because yes. I am not the person to sit and have a pint of IPA, a pint of a stout, a pint of a lager. I can't drink that much and I shouldn't drink that much with my hmm. diabetes. That doesn't mean I don't want to try things. And I may never, ever find an IPA that I could drink a pint of, but I'm sure it's going to keep trying them. That's one of my favorite things to do. So the flights are amazing. And I really love, I remember earlier on, whether it was a restaurant or a brewery, flights used to be these pre-prescribed, like for this much money, yeah, you get some six tasters. And mm-hmm. da, da, da. My favorite is when you they say, well, you can choose any six for this amount and I can sit there on some of these right. places have extensive lists of beers, depending on how long they've been in business. And you can sit there and choose. Although one of my absolute favorite ones, when we went to Oregon in June of 2021, my partner and I went to Oregon and we went to a few breweries. One of them was this flight of like 22 beers. I think you've seen the picture of me holding this like rainbow display of all of these tasters. Yes. <laughs> it was like, a, it was like every beer that they had available at this brewery. 
Uh, yes, insane. I think it was Ten Barrel Brewing, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. So my partner, I just we tasted it. I mean, we got a little toasty just from the tasters, <laughs> but I got to try a whole bunch of different things and help me know that when you were reading off these, like, okay, I have tried this. Oh, I have tried. That. Oh, that's why that tastes like that. So the flights is my favorite part to like the social aspect to sit there. I love going to breweries with you, best friend, and just sit there and just taste and talk. And we talk a lot of nonsense and foolery, but mm-hmm. just to sit I there. I could and not taste. agree more. The flights are are part of the fun because the fun part is you want to try what's new and you want to recognize the craft and see what they're doing there. And, you know, there are a lot of beers where you can taste, you can read the description of what it is and what they're going for. You can taste it. It can be very successful in what they were trying to do, but also you might not ever drink that beer again because it just, you didn't like it. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so we have a lot of fun using the untapped app keeping track of the different things that we've tasted and kind of making notes and things about that, which is always, but yeah, the, the flights, excellent addition to the list. And I will say I struggle sometimes because I have my favorites. So if we go to out to Buellton or Paso, I'm not really interested in trying a flight of Firestone beer. I want that 805 right from the teat, right from the source. <laughs> <laughs> I want it right there. And, and like, you're not going to convince me like, oh, try this, the, 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 the barrel, blah, blah, blah. No, give me my 805. To the extent that like, it is so much better from the source. And we know that of craft beer. <laughs> there was one time I went to fill up a growler of 805 and the, the guy working there was like, you know, it's like $2 cheaper if you just get a 12 pack instead of this mm, or a six pack, mm-hmm, of can- mm-hmm, whatever mm-hmm. it was. If you go get this pack from the fridge yeah, instead pack, of yeah. this growler. And I said, you work here, right? And he kind of looked at me and I'm like, you know, it tastes better from the tap. <laughs> I will pay the extra $2. Yep. He's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> But like, so I struggle, like the flights is so fun, but also when I find the one I like, take me to Buellton. Actually, we haven't (laughs) gone in a while. We should go and just have a couple drinks and it's good food there. And so I also have my favorites. Like when I go to Firestone, I'm going to have an 805 and I'm going to have some good food and I'm not going to do a flight, but the uh, most other places going in and trying something new and trying a whole bunch of something new is really fun. That is indeed a balance that you have to find. Like I know, I know what my favorite is, but also there's something new and I can't drink them all. Or can I? <laughs> or can I try? Well, I've seen you struggle with that too. Last time I was at this brewery, they had, oh, they had that and I rated it five and I really liked it, but they also have this. But I now there's this new that. one. I'm going to have a silly name. Both. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to tag the new one and have the old one. Exactly. Which actually has also been helpful. I noticed breweries now, they don't just offer the pint and then the gigantic and then the growler. Some of them are now doing like a $2, you know, three the ounce pints. Yeah, even less than or, that. Yeah, the like tasters, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. so that's been really helpful too. That's helped someone like me. I go to a Firestone and I'm going to have my 805, but oh, now they have a three ounce. I can taste that and still have my 805. So that's been very, very smart of the breweries as well. Did we make it through craft beer? That was great. <laughs> that was great. I was nervous. Hopefully I didn't sound like too much of a noob talking about the different craft beers. I know that our craft beer nerds are going to be like, oh, Rob, I can't believe you put that in that category and didn't talk about this. (laughs) Look, I think it's perfect because we are nerding out about it without being experts because that's kind of the fun of being nerds, right? That's right. We don't have to be the all knowledgeable. We enjoy this experience and go and have a few drinks and in the pandemic making our own brew fests at home mm-hmm, with our little mm-hmm. like safe pandemic circle was something valuable and fun and that I w- will continue doing even out of the pandemic. 
We are full of beer, Rob. Thank you for all that craft brew knowledge and nerdiness. What's the nerdiest thing you did this week? Oh, man. Okay. So the final card, we last episode, we talked about our Trello boards and our, and our 22s for 22s. Well, the last card I moved over on my 21 for 21 board was completing all three boxes of the Batman Gotham Chronicles miniature board game. What this allowed us to do was, since we had everything painted and ready to go, there are different versions of the game. There's game mode. So in the in the traditional main game is a one versus many style, where one player operates a board full of the bad guys, right? So whatever the mission calls for, you might be the Joker and Harley Quinn and some like thugs, and they're planting bombs around the city. And then the players are the heroes, right? So somebody might be Batman and somebody might be Nightwing, whatever. And so it's a one versus many where they try to they have objectives and you have an objective and you take turns going through which is fine but once we kind of had everything available to us we unlocked the versus mode which is like a 1v1 turns it into a miniature skirmish game like a battle game so one person takes on the bad guy side and one person is the good guy side and from all the different cards and minis you draft your force Right. So depending on and it gives you a scenario and depending on the scenario, you're like, oh, OK, well, this guy's, you know, th- this one, they're hacking into computers. So I got to make sure that I pick guys that are good at computers or whatever and things like that. So for this one, I'm going to be Two-Face and I'm going to be Killer Croc and then I'm going to throw in the Penguins goons and then I'm going to grab Clayface. And on the other side, it's like, OK, well, I'm going to be Nightwing and I'm going to be Batgirl and I'm going to grab Commissioner Gordon and I'm going to put cops with big shields like riot cops on my team. And then you set them all up on the board. But this is by far the preferred way to play this game. It was so much fun where where the one versus many is pretty fiddly. It's pretty long. And, you know, there's a lot of rules and different steps to remember kind of going through. This really streamlines the experience. You're playing with all these cool painted models. It's the property that, you know, most people recognize as far as like the Batman lore and stuff like that. So we played... As many games as we could fit in of Batman Gotham City Chronicles, you know, trading up our forces and doing that. So that was a blast. Nice. How about you? So for me, there's this thing that I've been sort of working on for a long time. Uh, as a reminder to our listeners, I was a music educator for 19 years, and I was very lucky that early in my career and throughout my career, I had some really great mentors and really great training on the thing that is missing when music teachers get their degree to become a teacher. A lot of what they learn is about pedagogy, is about becoming a phenomenal musician and ear training skills and and music history and music theory and all the things that you need to be a great musician in order to then become a teacher. The thing that's missing from a lot of music education programs across the country for those who are trying to get a degree and become a music teacher is the logistical side of being a, a director. One of the mm. reasons why I'm an administrator is because of the parallels between being a band director and being a principal. There are so many parallels. You're just a, you're a smaller version of running a school. You're running your program and it's an organizational thing. It's a living being and you have to be savvy and knowledgeable about how to work with parent volunteers and your boosters, how to speak financially to your administrators, how to advocate for your program in the public, how to be, how to do PR, how to train and hire and fire mm. 
your staff, how to right. commute. I mean, it's just there's so and finance finances. Now you're in charge of a big budget. Now you have boosters who raise you six figures to run your program mm -hmm. and they have their own set of rules, especially if they're a 501c3. And it just, it goes on and on and on this logistics or the business side of being a music educator is largely ignored in programs. So all that to say, one of my like underlining projects for a very long time now is kind of writing a book, writing a course mm -hmm. that kind of covers this for people who are on that last semester before student teaching or last semester before they go into their own program to just touch base on a lot of this. And with the digital content delivery tools that we have now, wow. I am considering and have been taking instead of chapters of a book, modules that mm -hmm. can be delivered mm -hmm. digitally and therefore available to a wider audience than me flying to such and such college to yeah, do give a, a seminar or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've been working on that a little bit with whatever little time I have, but it's a, it's a passion project of mine. I don't know if it'll ever get completed. There are some people around the country that are much bigger names in music education or that are actually names in music education versus me that have touched upon it at conferences. I do still think even after all this time, there is, there's a gap there where I see a lot of young music teachers struggle is in exactly in this realm because they're phenomenal musicians. They are good at being a people person and they don't have that logistical organizational brain, which was something I was naturally very good at, thankfully, and made that part easy for me. And also made it make sense to become an administrator. So uh, I've been working on that as a kind of okay. a side passion project. What about next week? What's the nerdiest thing you're going to do next week? Uh, next week is all about deck builder games. So tabletop gaming wise, a, a genre of that is the deck builder. If you're not familiar, there's it's a card game. There's just hundreds of cards and they will start out kind of a, as a community stack, right? A giant deck of cards in the middle of the board. And you've got a couple things and a couple cards. And on those cards, usually there will be numbers or points values. This is worth this many points. This one's worth this few points, et cetera. And you lay out what they usually call a river of cards, you know, five to seven cards out there. And these cards are for sale supposedly. So it comes around to your turn. You look at the cards in your hand that have the different numeric values. You add those up. Okay. I've got one with a three. I've got one with a two. I've got one with a one. I have six points. I can buy six points worth of cards from the river. So I'm going to take one that was worth four and I'm going to buy one that was worth two. And that now goes into my deck and everybody else gets a turn to buy things and more cards from that big stack are put down. Next time it comes to me, I've shuffled through my new deck that I built last turn. I've got new cards. I'm buying more. As you go through these cards, not only just buy other cards, but they have other abilities that either somehow hurt the people that you're playing uh, with, right? If it's a competitive game and you're trying to like knock them out or take away their health points or whatever it might be, it, you'll play effects on other players at the same time as buying more cards for your deck. Or many of them are cooperative where everyone around the table is playing cards that have different, you know, abilities or powers that affect something that the game is providing, some sort of artificial intelligence or something on there. So that's a deck builder game. I think I like deck builder games. But I keep running across <laughs> ones that I don't like. <laughs> so, okay. but I did last month, got a couple new ones for Christmas. I got the nostalgia to the max. I got the G.I. Joe deck builder game and the what? Transformers deck builder oh game. Oh my gosh. 
They're both made by the same company, but a cursory look through the rule book seems like they're pretty different mechanically. I already have an inclination of which one I'm going to like better, but we'll see how it goes once we actually like get into it and, and play it. The deck builder game that I love and want to just recommend to everyone, if you're thinking about like, oh, what's the next tabletop game I should get into? Or, oh, I've heard about deck builders before. What's the one to get into? Is the DC deck builder game. It is simple. It is streamlined. There are a bunch of different versions of it. Like if you can't find the original one from 10 years ago, there's another one with a different like DC logo on it, right? It might be Young Justice or it might be Teen Titans or whatever, but the gameplay is going to be the same and it's going to have all those DC comic heroes on it. Super simple to learn and pick up. It is a go-to game for our family whenever we're looking for like something. We want to play some tabletop games. We're not really interested in like having the brain space to do something new. That one comes off the shelf more than any other. I've played that with you, right? I'm That's sure you I have. <laughs> yeah, so time. I want to upvote that. I, yes, for someone who doesn't play a lot of deck builder games, really easy to pick up on this one. And it's still a good game. It's not like, oh, it's easy. This can be done quick. It's a good game that... Yeah. You got to yeah, use your strategy really like and you got to like think about the cards that you're picking up. A lot of ones that I've played since then are just really fiddly. They try to overcomplicate it with like, well, there's different kinds of decks and there's all these little cardboard tokens now. And you know, it's like, I came here for the deck builder. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need yeah. the meeples, you know? Right, so right, right. I keep experimenting with those. And again, I got two new ones. So I'm hoping this week we'll get to at least one of the new ones. Nice. How about you? On our end, we're going to nerd out about California and surrounding states a little bit. We are running out of time of having Frida from Norway. She leaves at the beginning of June. And we've been hampered a little bit with the ongoing of COVID in that we've backed out of a little bit of travel to show her some things just to be safe. So now we need to, we're going to spend this week planning out. We're at the end of January. So we've got February, March, April, and May to kind of try to plan out some day trips or maybe overnight trips that we can do, like drive out to the Grand Canyon, go down to San Diego, solving as a day trip. We canceled during winter break because the the variant got a little mm-hmm. wild and we felt it was best to just stay home. There are some things along those lines we want to make sure Frida experiences and also asking her, what are some things you wanted to see? And we've taken her to a couple already just since we've had her back in September to really try to figure out some places we can take her and stay safe and show her some parts of America before she goes home to Norway. What a we're gonna... fun excuse to go do cool things around where you live, you know, because yes. a lot of times we take it for granted, you know? Yes. And that's one of my travel boards, right? Like go on. Excellent. I was going to so... ask, and how are you organizing <laughs> these trips? That's been one I've achieved even during the pandemic year. I think the pandemic year is travel two times and I was able to do both of those travels before the pandemic hit. So that's been a thing the entire time on all of my travel boards. So. We're going to continue that. But in this case, with the lens of we've got someone from a foreign country who has a limited amount of time, and we want to make sure that we show her as much as we can before she has to go home. All right. So next episode, we are going to continue our series of I think I've seen this before with a different pair of movies that came out the same year. If you're someone who has kids or you like uh, animated movies, you might have gone and out to the theaters and seen these two movies. And I wonder if you also thought, these are the same movie. So we'll check that out coming up on our next episode of Nerd Best Friends. 
Do you have something to say about this episode? Join in on the conversation by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all at NerdBestFriends, or send us a message by writing to podcast at NerdBestFriends.com. Please make sure to listen, subscribe, like, follow, share our podcast, and please give us that five-star rating. We know you love us, nerds. (laughs) We appreciate it. As always, wonderful talking to you, Annalise. Thank you so much. Same to you, best friend, and uh, listeners, we'll see you in two weeks. have a cute uh i don't have a cute opening all right rob enough tale about is, beer oh, enough oh, about no, beer go ahead. no no, what do you no. Say? <laughs> i don't know something cheesy like tale is old as time friends and family coming together over alcohol <laughs> there is no better